Well, good morning. Uh, it's about the tenth time we've asked that, so I hope it is a good morning. I, I love that. I, I love that, though, you know? I mean, what a greeting. Good morning. It's not always the case, but it's good to meet and greet people like that, right? Good morning. We get an opportunity to help make somebody's morning good every time we meet someone, every time we come into contact with someone. So, good morning. Thank you for uh, having me back. Uh, I am only representing one, uh, one-eighth of the tribe that we call Team Reed. They had some responsibilities at the local church, so they, they couldn't break free today, but they send their greetings as well. And I do come on behalf of North Wake Church, which is a church we're a part of in Wake Forest. Um, and thank you for your partnership in the gospel here in the Triangle, as well as the Baptist State Convention in North Carolina. And we thank you for the partnership in the gospel across uh, the state. And I'm glad Chuck registers here. He's a, he's a friend, even though he's a Florida Gator fan. And as a, uh, as a Georgia Bulldog fan, we probably won't be friends in a couple of weeks, but we'll, we'll reconvene here before too long. Um, uh, as uh, Mr. Jim said, I do, uh, my wife and I have been married um, over almost 18 years, and we have six kids. And I really do need your help. So if you do have some parenting advice, please. Come and, and certainly pray for us. But um, I grew up in Buford, Georgia, uh, Southern Fried Christianity, uh, Southern Fried Religion. And uh, it, if you're not familiar with that kind of terminology, it really means where a lot of people go to church on Sundays, but don't really follow Jesus. And that was my life for 24 years. And by God's grace, 11 months into our marriage, we heard the gospel really for the first time. And the Lord saved my wife and I at the same time. And um, by the way, I'll I'm more than likely to cry three or four times today. Uh, it's okay. I can't always stay behind the tears, and nor do I always want to. I never want to get over what God's done for me. Um, but when we heard the gospel, it, was, it, was, um, it began to reconfigure everything I thought Christianity was. It began to rebuild, rebuild what it looks like to actually follow Jesus. And the Lord sent, uh, by, by His grace, He just sent a couple men, old pig farmer, and a, and a guy who used to be a missionary in, in Southeast Asia or South Asia. And they just took me under their wing and started teaching me what it looks like to follow Jesus. And uh, that's been the last 16 years of my life. Those guys, along with others, have taught me a lot about what it means to follow Jesus. And as they've challenged me to invest in others, uh, the people that I've started investing in have challenged me also to what it looks like to follow Jesus. Some of them are sitting here today who were part of a Wednesday morning Bible uh, study here in the city, and, and they've, they've taught me so much about what it looks like to really follow Jesus and invest in people. And, um, you know, when you invest in others, what you get back is always far better than what you put in. And I just think that's how the gospel works, you know. And I just, I just wonder, do you have a story like that where there was a time in your life where something changed, fundamentally changed, your whole, your whole nature, your whole identity changed? Because if it is, what you've probably realized is, is that uh, Christianity isn't very convenient. It, what Jesus calls us to is not very convenient, actually. A recent article uh, released was, what, what are the top 40 inconveniences, and this was in, in England, what are the top 40 inconveniences in England? And this was what the list was, some of the things on the list that came out, poor Wi-Fi connection. You know, that's, a, that's number one, really inconvenient when you need it. Uh, number two, calls from unknown numbers. Can I get a witness? You know, leave me alone. 
<laughs> Number three, forgetting passwords. Uh, my wife and I, this is a great source of frustration for us. It's very inconvenient to forget passwords when you need them. When your phone battery is about to die and then does, even when it says there's like 48% left, like how did it just die? Number five, a, a late train or a late bus. You know, when you have to pay for extra luggage, when you can't find the end of the sticky tape when you need it. Like, where is this thing? Autocorrect. I've sent some really bad text messages because autocorrect. I'm like, Mom, I'm so sorry. Uh, that's not what I meant to say. Um, and then, like today, when it rains, you know, uh, what happens to your hair? This is one of my pet peeves when it rains. Like, what happens to your hair when you go out in the rain? Clearly, that should have been number one on the list. Uh, but if you think about inconveniences, why are they inconvenient? What about them, these, these interruptions? These in, what makes them inconvenient? And, and as I was reflecting on that question this week, uh, if we're honest, I think it's because we've conceived an agenda or an idea of the way that our day, our week, our month, our life should go. We've written a story for our lives that we think will produce happiness, produce joy. And if anything disrupts that, it's an inconvenience. Am I right? But what if we're not the author of our lives? What, what if we were not the author of our months or our weeks or our days or our minutes? How might that change the way we view interruptions? In his book, Orthodoxy, 20th century author and philosopher G.K. Chesterton once said, describing his journey toward Christianity, he said, I'd always felt life first as a story. And if there is a story, then there's a storyteller. And the Bible unashamedly identifies both the storyteller and the story, that the one who spoke everything into existence and extended this partnership to his creation was rejected. And then he wrote himself into the story, so to speak, and has revealed himself and his work decisively in the person and work of Jesus Christ to reconcile all things to himself. This is what this biblical storyline is. The church then, with Scripture as authority, has historically called this mission. And if we had to top level a few verses, Luke 19.10, when Jesus is um, leaving Zacchaeus' house, he says, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. And, and if you turn to the end of the Bible, we see where all this is going. You know, Avengers released a movie earlier this year called Endgame. And as you watch Endgame, it ties up all the other Marvel comic movies. If you watch, go back and watch them now, you're like, oh, because I know where this is all going. Well, we get that in the Bible. We see where it's all going. Revelation 5 says, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God, listen, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That's where this is all going. That's the mission of God. So either that's true or it's not. And if it's true, then how is that going to happen? Well, we're going to catch a brief glimpse of that in one scene today in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, Acts chapter 8, 26 to 40. And we're going to trust the Spirit to open these things up to us today and to make a bit of application when we see a God-prepared seeker 
and a God-prepared servant meet in a God-prepared, cross-cultural, inconvenient circumstance. And the result is astonishing. And it's happening throughout history, and it's continued to happen all over the world, and it's continuing to happen right here in the capital city of Raleigh, North Carolina. So if you will, let's ask the Lord for much grace and mercy so that we can hear and see today. Father, in the name of Jesus, even now, even now, not by might or strength, but by your Spirit, teach us. So that what isn't remembered today isn't my eloquence or lack thereof, but your Spirit's leading, guiding, forming, correcting, healing, humbling, comforting, and binding, and strengthening work. That there really is good news that brings great joy. And so do it, even now, so that none of us would leave here the same way we came in. What a travesty that would be. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Hear the word of the Lord. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. Everybody say rejoicing. Yeah. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now let's just read through this again and explore all the inconveniences in this text. Very inconvenient. Verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise. Prayer is inconvenient and seemingly ineffective, if you think about it. In our day and age, prayer doesn't seem very efficient. In this culture, more than likely, they prayed three or seven times a day. It's a bit debated. But this would have been a prayer that happens at noon. And in this prayer, it's in the next chapter, we're going to see uh, Peter praying at the same 
uh, time, and that's when the Lord speaks to him and drops the, the blanket down and says, Peter, kill and eat. You know, And this dream comes to him. Here, this angel of the Lord speaks to Philip in prayer. So prayer is quite inconvenient. If you have a busy day, it doesn't mean, it does, it's just not very convenient to stop and pray. So this is the first thing we see. And second, God starts telling P- Philip where to go in prayer. That's not very convenient. I mean, what, I'm bringing this list to you, God. I have things I want from you, and you're telling me what to do? That's not very convenient. It's noon. I'm hungry. And you want me to go somewhere? And not only just go somewhere, but you want me to go to this place where it's known that criminals rob people on this road? This is a dangerous place. You want me to go there at lunchtime? And I I can't imagine what this did to Philip's worth and significance. He says, go to a desert place. There's not a lot of people there. If you've got an assignment for me, God, don't you want me to go where all the people are? He says, go to a desert place. That's not very convenient. I mean, not to mention the fact that just in the previous section of this chapter, there was a persecution that arose in Jerusalem and it spread God's people out and he's settling into a new town. That's not very convenient either to be telling me to go do stuff. I got all this other stuff I got to do to settle into a new town and meet my neighbors and all these various things. This is not very convenient. And Acts 21 tells us, doesn't God know how busy Philip is? He has four daughters and they're unmarried. I mean, four kids with feeding them and educating them and providing for them and training them and getting them where they need to be. I mean, even though this is a slower paced culture, still, this is it's a lot. It's not very convenient to just take off when you have four unmarried daughters at home. And Acts 21 also tells us that not only are they unmarried daughters, but they're unmarried daughters who prophesy. I mean, could you imagine what being their dad was like? Do you think that they ever messed with each other? Sally takes the shoes of Mary and says, the Lord says that whoever is the owner of these shoes will marry the next man we see today. I mean, I'm sure Philip had to had to be on his discipline game. Discipline requires presence. I can't just up and leave, God. But Philip goes. It says he rose and went, verse 27. He goes to a desert place. And when he gets there, the Spirit says, Hey, go get on a chariot with these strangers. Well, that's inconvenient and awkward. I don't know these people. You know, so beautiful day, huh? Desert place. Come here often. (laughs) I mean, this makes no sense. It's very inconvenient. And not only that, this is an Ethiopian who's coming from Jerusalem to Gaza. More than likely, there's three or four others. And they have nothing in common. He's rich, more than likely Philip isn't. He's dark-skinned, more than likely Philip wasn't. He's, wait, I have four daughters. He's a what? A eunuch? So let's just get this out of the way. What's a eunuch? Because this is really important to this text. Uh, We were working through this with um, my my older kids a couple of years back. We were just reading through the scriptures and couple of my older boys and we were walking through this and they were like, what's a eunuch, dad? What do you tell them? You know, uh, you tell them the truth. It's a man who's got mutilated private parts. And of course, their eyes are like, whoa, what? Why? 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 Which is pretty normal for kids to ask when they hear something like that. 
After we thought about it, my wife and I said, well, it's probably because he disobeyed his mom when he was young. Uh, but I'm just kidding. We didn't actually say that. We didn't actually say that. As far as you know. Um, no. no, no, we just told him this was, this was actually normal for the culture. This was normal for the culture in a hierarchical society where, you know, call it what you will, a caste system is in place. It's very difficult to go through the different levels of society. And oftentimes, uh, the way that you could achieve uh, a better financial status was if you went to work for the court officials or the king or the queen. But guess what? They don't trust you because you ain't like them. You ain't from their their kind. And so to make sure that you're not going to lay claim to the throne and try to do something sneaky, you often got mutilated. It's a high price for a high-paying job to give up wife and kids to make financial gain. And so Philip leaves home at lunchtime out here in the desert where people are known to get robbed, looking like an idiot out here. His girls need him. His wife needs him. And for what? To just roll up on some people who don't look like me, who talk like me or act like me to help a sexually altered man read the Bible? I mean, that doesn't sound very convenient. And the Spirit of God is like, yep, that's it. You know, and, and I just... As I was reflecting on this, I just 17 years, 16 years of walking with Jesus. This is I, this is just how I think Americans, at least, and certainly Westerners think about the mission of God. God, it's awesome that you're doing all these things across the world. But but it's just too inconvenient for me to be a part of it. And it makes sense. Right. I mean, if, if what God is doing in the world is not the story that I'm living into, then prayer and rearranging schedules and investing time in people that don't look like me or talk like me and then listening and empathizing and then offering real hope to them is just really inconvenient to what I'm really living for. It's just inconvenient. But that's not all that's inconvenient here. I mean, what led the eunuch to be coming out of Jerusalem in the first place? Well, one, he was he somehow he had become a eunuch. That's very inconvenient. Whether it was his personal choice or a parental choice at a young age to try to gain financial status for their family at some point, this was a decision that was quite inconvenient. I mean, think about it. This man has access to every regal thing in the Nubian kingdom. He's wealthy beyond he could ever imagine, and this simply isn't working. Whatever he was looking for wasn't working. It had cost him the chance at a wife and kids. And in a culture that says family is everything, shame and guilt now wrapped all over his heart. That's inconvenient, too, to wake up with shame and guilt every day. Somehow this man had heard of the God of Israel, though, and now he can't stop thinking about what he's heard about him. That's inconvenient, too, because I'm trying to do my job. But what I've heard about this God just won't seem to go away. It keeps being like a magnet, drawing me more and more to Him, and I can't get Him out of my mind. Maybe this one can take away the guilt and shame. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, He can give me a sense of purpose and worth. I can't focus. This is just inconvenient. And that led Him on a journey. 
He was leaving from Jerusalem back to Gaza. And this isn't a short journey. This isn't just a run over to Costco. This is a five-month journey one way. To go to the temple where supposedly this God of Israel can be found. I mean, that's not, an in, that's not a convenient trip. It's not like, hey, queen, I'm going to run to the gym. Do you need anything on the way back? I'll be back in a year. That's not very convenient. And he gets to the temple in Jerusalem, and this is what he would see. He's finally, whatever he's heard of the God of Israel, this God of mercy, this God of justice, this God of grace, that he has a plan for all peoples, including Ethiopians, only to get there. And guess what he would have come to? He would have been shut out of the assembly. The temple at that time would have had a stairwell and there would have been a court of Gentiles. And the court of Gentiles was the first barrier that he would have come to. And that's where the poor and the needy and the sick would have hung out. And that's as far as he could have gone. The one who has access to everything in North Africa can only come to where the poor and the needy are at. At the temple. But that's not the only thing that kept him out. Deuteronomy 23.1 says, Anybody who's been sexually altered cannot enter the assembly of God. That's inconvenient as well. Strike two. So imagine this man's heart five months anticipating, waiting, hoping, sensing, and getting there and saying, inconvenient. I wish I was just born in another family. I wish I or my parents would have never made this stupid decision. I can't believe I even came here in the first place. What was I thinking? Is this if God would have any answers? But somehow he comes into possession of a scroll. Whether he paid a high price for it or it's pretty rare that a Gentile would have access to the Hebrew scriptures. But he has a scroll of Isaiah nonetheless. And on his way out, I imagine him just pouring over these scrolls. What does this stuff even say? Did I, did I miss it? Is he really a God of mercy? And he starts reading out loud because that was the custom of the time. You would read out loud for understanding. It's something that we would probably do well to recapture because I know when I read silently, my mind tends to wander and take off places. Exhortation, consider, try reading out loud. It's really helpful. But as he's reading through Isaiah, what's he going to come up against? He's going to see God's a God of justice, a God of mercy, that he's holy and righteous, that there's, he has a house of prayer for all nations. Was that where I just was? And that there's this prince of peace that he's going to send and this giver of life. And he doesn't share his glory with another. And wait, salvation's going to come through a royal son who's also going to be a servant? That's what? This arm of the Lord is also going to be crushed? What? And he gets to Isaiah 53 and he reads these texts, these words. But he, this royal son, who's also a servant, who was not looked upon with great favor through the eyes of men. He gets to Isaiah 53 and says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, everyone, listen, 
to his own way, writing our own story, stiff-arming the God who made us, and Isaiah 53 says, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That would have been the verses right before this text that Luke gives us. And I imagine the eunuch saying, who is this that's, that's doing something for others? Who is this? And that's exactly what verse 34 says. He says, Philip, who do I ask you? Is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Not understanding this scroll is inconvenient, isn't it? And that's where, that's where the Spirit just leads Philip. It's probably moving six, seven miles an hour. I don't know. And Philip's like, hey, guys, what you reading? Uh, not very convenient to try to have a conversation. <laughs> Fortunately, the eunuch invites him up. And he says, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And it's here, it's here, where all the inconveniences for Philip that led up to this moment and all these inconveniences, a lifetime of inconvenience for the eunuch, it's here on this desert road and these two men's lives collide. What does this all mean? Who am I? What are we on earth for? Who is God? All this guilt and shame and fear and hope and meaning and significance right here on a chariot heading out of Jerusalem to Gaza. And this is the place where true joy can be found in both of their lives. Verse 35, look what it says. It says, in beginning, it says, Philip opened his mouth. That's where it starts. In beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He didn't try to fix him. He didn't try to counsel all his maladies. It says, beginning, he opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news of Jesus Christ. Now I imagine Philip recalling his own conversion, looking at this dark-skinned, rich Ethiopian eunuch in the eyes and seeing himself in there, saying, buddy, he became unclean so that you and I can be clean. But he became cut off so that you and I could be brought in. And he took the penalty for your sin and my sin so that you and I could go free. And he took on death so that you and I can live forever, man. Like the God you've heard of, the God of Israel, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who is the great storyteller and the one that you have spurned your whole life and yet since that you have been drawn to for some time now is trying to write your story, and He is writing your story, and this God has written Himself into your story to be the substitute for your sins so that you, your story, can have a redemptive turn to it. It's the gospel, man. It's a free gift for all who see their desperate need and simply receive it. And when I woke up in prayer this morning, the Spirit of God said, just go to Jerusalem, to this road, and then all of a sudden, you come bounding down in this chariot. So what's it going to be? You ever had a moment like this? You ever had a moment 
where you know God's put you there for such a time as this to see somebody cross from death to life. I remember one of our friends, um, I'll never forget, man, we're, Mommy Norris, if you want to lead somebody to Jesus, take them to Mommy Norris. Like that chicken does stuff to people, I'm telling you. I've probably led more people per capita at Mommy Norris than anywhere else in the city. <laughs> um, But this man, uh, something had happened in his high school years where he just couldn't really, he was mad at God and mad at his parents because of it. And as he began to unfold this story, and, and basically he even admitted in that moment that he had been using that as an excuse to basically just do whatever he wanted to. And you could just see it all over him, you know, you could see it all over him. And I'll never forget, the question just zinged into my mind at this point, and I said, Friend, you know why you can't forgive your parents? Because you can't give what you've never received. And it's easier to bear grudges and to harbor ill will. And it, we think that's going to actually like cure us. I'm not going to forgive that person for what they did to me. And that just was an evidence that we're still trying to write our own story. And somehow the Spirit of God just opened his heart at that point. And three years later now, four years later now, um, his parents are in good standing with one another. They're with good standing with one another. And it's amazing to watch the transformation that's taken place in this man's life. It's amazing. Have you ever had a moment like that? All it takes is one. I trust you. You will be hooked for life. When you see somebody cross from death to life, I promise you, because it's liberating. And to see people liberated from the guilt and shame and fear that grips us every single day is powerful. That's what the gospel does. And I'm sure the eunuch would have brought up going to Jerusalem and being doubly excluded, to which I'm sure Philip would have just said, hey, let's, let's keep looking at this scroll of Isaiah. Let's keep looking. This is what discipleship is. You don't just get them saved. He's got all this baggage that needs gospel healing. You have all this baggage that needs gospel healing. I have baggage that needs gospel healing. And he just rolls out the scroll a little more. And this is what it would have said in Isaiah 56. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. This is what would have been on the scroll. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. A dry tree don't bear fruit. This man will never have kids. And the shame that would have wrapped him in that culture. Listen to what it says. It says, for this says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. You hear the gospel in this, how the gospel is transforming him right here out of the scroll. It says, I will give you a name better. I'll give you an inheritance better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall never be, listen, cut off like him. That's amazing. These I will make, these units I'll make joyful in my house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. The gospel really is good news, y'all. 
if Isaiah 56 had your deepest regrets and shame and guilt on it, what would it say? What would it say? It just happened that the eunuch, that was the scroll he had, just happened, right? What would it say? Have you experienced that kind of gospel transformation and healing? Begin to grasp, not just Jesus died for my sins, but how he begins to take all the broken pieces of our lives and put us back together again. This is discipleship. This is why the church exists. To seek and save the lost and to help disciple people into the wholeness of who Jesus really is. There's nothing else the church should be about doing. That will take on the fullness of life. Mm. I guess now, Philip and the unit, we're probably dealing with the inconvenience of ugly crying in front of each other. <laughs> I got a feeling, though, they just didn't mind. Because all those previous inconveniences just got swept up in a tidal wave of grace. If, if grace was an ocean, they were just sinking, right? as Jesus was making this man new. Um, you know, if you're wondering how they got to baptism, I know I was like, how did they get to, how they get to baptism? Well, Isaiah 54 would have talked about Noah and the flood. That's just discipling. He's just discipling this dude out of Isaiah 54. Hey, here's the flood. Here's how that ties into baptism. When somebody identifies with Jesus, they identify with his death and his resurrection. And the eunuch says, hey, there's water. What's preventing us to get... I don't. This was a five-month journey. This could have been three. Philip could have been on the chariot for three months, three days. I don't know how long he was on the chariot with him. But they got pretty far down the road in discipleship. However, if he's already getting baptized and getting to seeing some of the healing take place, but I don't want you to lose. I don't want you to lose what happens to those who receive the gospel and to those who participate in this great mission. Look at verse thirty-nine. It says, when they came up out of the water, Philip and the eunuch, he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. Look, he says, he went on his way rejoicing. All those life choices and all those promptings to search for answers led to something that the eunuch didn't even know he was looking for, a joy so deep and abiding that he could never have imagined. You see, when the gospel hits us at the greatest place of need for us, the greatest place of fear, the greatest place of guilt, the greatest place of shame, the greatest when the gospel hits us there, seeing that the way that God deals with our sin is by taking it on himself, and then you taste the love that we sing about. You can't taste the love that you sing about until you admit the need that you have. It's like a flat, glib love that is just like seems very sentimental and bubblegummy. When the love that God opens up in Scripture is a bloody cross. That's when you can experience transformation. That's the kind of love the world's looking for. It's tasted all the carbon copies. It's tasted the, the junk food of love. Is there something abiding? Yes, His name is Jesus. And it'll give you, it'll just leave you in a place where all that's left is joy unspeakable. Joy that's not glib. Joy that can withstand a million trials because it's rooted in something concrete like the person and work and death of Jesus. And when we see Jesus then as the author and the director and the star of the true story of the whole world, we'll stop trying to get God to bring about my story and we'll let ours get swept up into His. 
Allah, I don't know any other way to say it, you know. I mean, gospel is a free gift, and the only thing you can do with the gift is receive it. But God is, God is shrewd, because as soon as you do, He turns you as to one who gives. Paul even says it. Remember in Acts, he says it's more blessed to give than to receive. But the way you get in is to receive. I, I, it's just brilliant. God is brilliant also, if you haven't noticed that. <laughs> He's brilliant. <laughs> um, but, but I'll end here. The eunuch didn't go back the same. He didn't go back the same. He didn't just go back to the regular scheduled program. He w- Philip called him into this great story. All right. Think about the access that he had everywhere now in the Nubian kingdom. Think about the access that this man had. Church history tells us that when this man, full of the Holy Spirit, and two or three others go back with the scroll of Isaiah, a gospel movement broke out. More than likely, that gave us St. Augustine and Athanasius, two people who, if you're not sure who they are, they've probably influenced you more than you could ever imagine. Because a man who got born again on this road from Jerusalem to Gaza took the gospel seriously, was swept up into this great story and says, oh, God is after a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. I'm going to be that representative to my people, to my sphere of influence, to my one. Who's your one? And he did. And all he had was like maybe a month or two of discipleship. (laughs) That's awesome. He went back still, you know, a treasure for the Ethiopian king and queen, but now he went back as an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. There are no professionals in Christianity. You know, if I could just go off the record here. I don't know, off the record, just out of my notes. You know what? As you guys search for a pastor, you know one thing that would absolutely just light a pastor's heart on fire? If you take who's your one seriously. And maybe you already are. I don't know. What if you led six, seven, eight, twelve people to Christ in the next two or three months? Pastors will be lining up to get a, get a part of that and started discipling them, calling them into this great work and this great mission. There are no professionals in Christianity. This is the brilliance of it. Philip, nor the eunuch, was a pastor. There's a dad. Blue-collar worker. Unit was a white-collar worker. Court official, government official. And the gospel has been strapped on the backs of those people for 2,000 years, and that's how the mission of God has spread. You can't hire this. Pastors help shepherd that. That's it. And so if I can encourage, like, push all the chips in. Push them all in. Because this is what he invites us into. This is normal Christianity. And in America, I think we've been duped into thinking that this isn't what God's up to or somehow we're exempt because we're super busy. And maybe, just maybe, the devils of this land, the gods of this land, the little g-gods, the enemies, have employed a strategy in our culture that keeps us overstimulated, overworked, an overly consumeristic longing for more and more control, undersatisfied, jumping from appointment to appointment, and in our downtime just looking on Instagram to see what everybody else is doing with their four or five minutes of discretionary time, and then all of the human problems in the world are human problems. They're not really spiritual problems. And so if we can just come up with more meetings and appointments to try to fix all those problems, we'll come up with some human solutions, and it spirals into this quicksand of anxiety and depression, and the suicide is up even among pastors in America. 
And God is actively working against this even now, coming to us through this word saying, do you want in? Do you want this? And many of you already may be actively, and I just commend it and fan it into flame. But for others here, I know, I know that you need to hear what Paul tells the Corinthians right here. Listen, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, maybe you know this, he is a what? Say it out loud. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this, listen, is from God. Who's the author? God. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Listen, that's normally where we stop. Ah, through Christ he reconciled us. But listen, benefits and responsibilities. Here it comes. He says, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So you, a new creation, you're reconciled to God, and now he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. It's the, it's the ministry of helping people be reconciled to the God who made them. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And, here it is again, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And here's the goal. You ready for this? Listen. He says we're ambassadors. Make sure you listen. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. You see the brilliance of the gospel here? The mission of the church, the mission of God, is Jesus is seeking and saving the lost. And he's doing so from people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And then he partners with those he saves and then speaks through them to others. Be reconciled unto God. There's no other way it happens. This is what the Bible says. Either this is true or it's not. And Philip took that up, and then he just passed that on to the eunuch, and the eunuch passed that up, and he took that up. And today, God is coming to us and saying, will you take it up? So just a couple of points of application. Be amazed at the sovereignty of God in salvation, personally and globally. Do you see all these circumstances that he orchestrated to bring these two men together on a desert road? That's amazing. He's got every weapon in the bag. Dreams, prayer prompts, chariots coming out of Jerusalem, even rejection by what seemed to be God's people he used to help bring this person to Christ. And I just wonder today, have you experienced the inconvenience of conversion? Nobody's born a Christian. Nobody's ever born into a Christian. Like, you can't be born into Christianity. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Have you experienced the inconvenience of conversion? And I just pray that today would be the day of the Lord for you, that today would be the day of salvation, where God is starting to confront the desire to control our life. And so I'll just encourage you to repent to receive this free gift that comes in Christ, him substituting his life for yours, and then to follow it up in baptism. Like that's the normal mode. You can't go to church more. You can't pray more. Like you either are born again or you're not. And that was me for 24 years. That was my dad for 60 years. He sat in a church until he was born again to a living hope. And the last 12 years of his life was amazing before he took his last breath with cancer. And if you think, man, God can never heal me, he can never. Just think about what scripture would be your Isaiah 56 and look at what he did to this eunuch and for this eunuch and say, okay, God, if for him, then for me too.
And then lastly, I would encourage everyone to yield to the inconvenience of participation in the mission of job and the mission of God. Yield to the inconvenience. That would that would look like coming to him in prayer, doing battle in prayer, but then also listening. So that when he says rise and go, we like Philip, with all the inconveniences of our calendar, would rise and go because we've tasted and seen that he's good. So I'm going to close. I would love to speak with anyone this afternoon. I'm sure there will be others here who you can speak with if you have questions, if, you, if the Lord's prompted you in various ways. But as I prayed earlier, I pray no one leaves here the same way you came in. The mission is too critical and certain for that to be the case. Let's pray. Father, your word tells us that in a man's heart, he makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. If we're, if we're honest, all of, I think you desire to be like that in all aspects of our life, not only in, our, in the direction of our entirety of our life, but our days, our weeks, our months, our years, our moments, our minutes, even at lunch today. So, Father, give us eyes. Give us eyes to see no more inconveniences, but only opportunities as we're sensitive to your Spirit's leading. And, uh, Lord, is even just preaching this, Deep conviction welling up in my heart. And so, Father, for all of us in here, would you draw us to repentance? Of really stiff-arming this. Maybe leaving it up to somebody else. Or having tasted it a little bit and thinking, okay, that's enough. Father, forgive me. Forgive us. Transform us anew today into the image of Christ. Thank you that in your word we can see clearly the depths of your love for us through him and his sacrifice and his resurrection. So bless Emmanuel now to be a blessing to this neighborhood, to this city. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.